Welcome to Meet an African Pastor podcast. My name is Anthony Seitzma, and in this podcast, I interview different African pastors so that people around the world can hear about what their lives are like and pray for them. And most importantly, this gives all of us an opportunity to learn from the African church. Thank you for listening. Welcome again to the podcast. I'm here with my friend Joseph. We're in Kigali, Rwanda. And Joseph is going to share with us about a very interesting and helpful topic, which is about guiding people as they want to help uh, churches and individuals and the poor in Africa, and how to do that well, how to uh, avoid some common mistakes, how to be careful and have some discernment as, as you look to try to help. Um, so I'm really eager to hear from Joseph. He has a lot of wisdom and experiences, a lot of experiences throughout Africa and around the world. And so we look forward to hearing what he will share with us. But Joseph, before we get into that, it's good for people to know you. Who is Joseph? Uh, what is your church? Uh, tell us about your other ministries that you do. Tell us about your family and anything you'd like to share about yourself. Thank you, Anthony. My name is Joseph Nyamutera. I am a pastor with the Pentecostal Church. I am married to Esther. We have uh, six children. And uh, I have been a teacher before the genocide uh, in Rwanda. And uh, after the genocide, I joined the Ministry of Healing Hearts and Transforming Nations. It was uh, then called Healing the Wounds of Ethnic Conflict. And then uh, all these years I've been in that ministry. And uh, with the ministry, now we have founded a local nonprofit called Rabajirana Ministries. But at the same time, I've been a pastor in the ADPR, which is the Pentecostal Church in Rwanda. And I've worked on uh, several levels at the local church as an assistant pastor, but I also worked in the denomination as the chair of the commission, you know, in prevent, to prevent and also solve conflict. So I worked on the all levels. Mm. And uh, in my ministry in Rwanda, I've been exposed to so much, the pain and the healing uh, of, of, of Rwanda. I've uh, been exposed also to uh, different churches, uh, the different denominations. So I've worked with Catholic and Protestant, Anglican and all the different variances of the Christian community. And also, um, since 2000, I've been invited to work with uh, in other countries. And uh, I have a vast experience of um, cross-cultural ministry. I've been uh, exposed to Europe and America. I have worked on uh, you know interracial teams, and I have worked in Africa, and also now in America and in Europe. So that is a bit of my my experience, and uh, I have done theology as uh, my degree, and then after, because my work was mainly with pastors, I realized uh, leadership is a big problem. So I did my master's in organizational leadership in uh, Negest uh, in, in Kenya, and I have been awarded a doctorate of divinity uh, by uh, Logos, in, in Logos University in the U.S. Mm. So this is about me. I'm in uh, Kenya now, based in Nakuru, but my work is in Rwanda, South Sudan, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, and, and all over the world. Mm. 
Yeah, thank you so much. Um, this topic is wide, but uh, I know that it's a passion of yours because sometimes people have asked you for guidance as they're trying to help different organizations in Rwanda or other countries. Um, maybe um, you can just share a few stories, what you've heard from other people um, as, as you listen and learn, as you go around different countries, you've seen people from North America trying to help and uh, what are you don't have to mention names but just give us a few general stories that will get us into the topic of why this is an important topic to you you know I've been um, listening to both sides the people who are being helped and uh, people who have tried to help and then you know in the years there is so much frustration uh, on both sides but also, uh, you know, some kind of disappointment in uh, in uh, on both sides. Now, one of the story is uh, a group that uh, came into one area, and uh, actually they were not; they have never touched the area. It was through a connection of someone living, you know, there in uh, in the west, and I became very close to them and convinced them that they should help his own area. So they started to send money and they were receiving all these photos of, you know, school is built here and all these uh, very good things happening. But when they tried to visit, you know, all the time they tried, they were not allowed to access that particular area. Mm. Then uh, when they talked to me, I just said to them, I think these photos, you know, are just nice, but... Uh, Today, Photoshop is a, is a possibility, but I'm sure these schools, these clinics, you know, they're not there because they tried many times, but they never accessed their area. So that is one, and uh, it was a big blow. Mm -hmm. Another time, there is um, a group that came. Now, before coming, they wanted me to, uh, to, to locate a pastor who was a very good friend to them, and then they gave me a name, and then I was supposed to go around and find that pastor. First, you know, I realized that pastor did not belong to any particular church, because all the groups, you know, where I tried to find him, no one knew him. So I was a bit, like, worried that, you know, how can you be a pastor? Because in this country, every pastor is part of a parish. Even if you are in an independent church, you are part of a forum of pastors, like a fellowship mm. of pastors in the same uh, geographical location. But uh, it was n not in none of something like that. So when I located him, I went back to them, but uh, I was a bit concerned. But whatever I said, like warning, you know, they didn't listen because they loved this man. And then, um, then they started to pour money, you know, on, on this man. And then, they even, you know, did a lot, I mean, like building a church without any local contribution, you know, giving money for sponsorship. And then in the end, that man, you know, just, you know, he, he some of the things they gave him disappeared, you know, a lot. And now they wanted me, you know, to go after him. And then I said, uh, that is not fair. You know, because in the warnings that I gave, they didn't listen. And this is what I've also realized. When you tell people, uh, I don't think this is right, 
this person is uh, reliable. I have also been in trouble because those I told, they told the person mm. that they wanted to help, but I was the problem. I became the obstacle. So that created hostility and enmity that is not useful. So I have learned, you know, throughout my experiences, sometimes not to tell, not to say what I think about a person. And another example is that uh, I've been uh, visiting a, a country in the West. So I've shown a flyer, you know, of someone, and uh, I was told by the group that, oh, this one is very famous. He has this community radio. He's running all this very nice program. Yeah, you know, uh, do you know this person is doing a, a very good job, isn't it? I realized these people were not trying to verify what the, they only wanted is for me to confirm. But when I looked at the brochure, I realized those things were not happening. But because I was uh, very careful about some of the problems I've gone through before, I could not say, I, I don't know the man, or I know this person, but these things that are here are not true. I couldn't say anything. I could just say, I don't know everyone. So I will go and, and verify. Probably, maybe this is, you know, happening. And so all those things have um, left me with a lot of questions. And then I am also traveling this time in the West. And what I found is that we have many friends, African immigrants, who have very good connections you know, in the churches, in the communities, in the West. And I've been talking to a group, and then I was saying, uh, can you help that community? Because I know a community in a country that was going through a lot of problems. And then they said, we have this uh, man, you know, who is now an American citizen, but he's from that area, and he's already, we are already giving a lot through this person, to do all, all what you are saying in that community. So we cannot, you know, uh, do twice because we have our own person. Mm. So verifying on the other side, those things were somehow happening, but they were not what uh, they said. You know, like for example, you know, if they told me, you know, he's building a community school. But you go to that side, it was not a community school, it was a private school that belonged to the person that is making money. And then everyone in that, uh, that school was a relative. And so it was not a community project, it was more of a business. So I realized that um, there is so much trust in, uh, among the people who live in the West and they have gained the trust of the people there. We also have people who are doing a very good job, you know, connecting their communities to the you know, Western community. We have also very good initiative. I'm not saying everything is wrong, but I'm saying there are also some of the mistakes that I've, uh, I have seen that people did not even verify. They didn't even bother, you know, to seek, um, you know, advice or, or verify, at least send someone to go to the community. And, and meet, you know, people and say, this is what we have been doing, so we want to see if this is really happening. The trust has been so high that people don't even bother to verify. 
And I am also aware of many situations of people who were, I can say, brought into a kind of work that they were not prepared to. Let me give you an example. Most of the people who come to Africa, sometimes they will come on a short trip, mm -hmm. you know, for a mission. So now maybe they meet a driver and that driver is very nice. So they love this, they connect emotionally with the driver. And then they will start to talk to the driver and say, how can we help the kids, you know, very poor and to fight malnutrition that we saw. And now it becomes, the driver becomes their person on the ground. But that driver has nothing to do with that community. Mm. And now you find that I've seen people, you know, saying we have our contact person, but who is that person? Is a driver who became very close to them and then everything was emotional. And I was like, yeah, but there are people in the community who have been doing this work, working with children, helping them for many years, but because they don't know the language, they don't speak English, and they don't know how to connect with Westerners, and they don't know how to touch their emotions. Because people who are exposed to the, you know, those coming from the West, they know how to touch, you know, their weakest point. They know how to shake, you know, their emotions. But they know more someone who is really busy helping the community, you know, has not developed that capacity to touch, you know, their heart and to know how to connect. So most of these people, you know, it is a driver, but there's not someone. And then you'll find suddenly that driver now becomes a community worker, you know, uh, and receiving support from the other side, when the genuine people, because of the, what they call the incompetence, because not incompetence, but who are really genuinely taking care of the, 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 the you know, the community mm -hmm. or solving the problems. Now, you know, they are struggling with no fund. And then most of the time, when someone has not been doing something, it is not the money that will make them do those kind of things. So all that, you know, suddenly the relationships broke and then people were crying and saying this was not the right person. And uh, sometimes you just wonder, how did you connect? Oh, and then they will say, that one was our interpreter. You know, so now an interpreter is not someone with a passion in the community. But because the interpreter was very pleasant, then the whole relationship mm. is built on, you know, this person is nice. Nice to, and interpreting does not mean real passion, mm. you know, and drive of some of the people I see in the community who are doing a great job. Mm. Even myself, even if I'm not a donor, I support some of these initiatives. So I wish you know, um, there was a way people could connect with the real people who are doing great job. But I don't deny that uh, there are also very good stories of success mm -hmm. where people have helped and results have, uh, have come out. Mm -hmm. I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> one of them is, uh, would you say as a general principle to, you're, you're talking about the passion that people have, would it be a good general principle to 
instead of helping someone start something new, mm-hmm. that you find the people already doing work in the community uh, and then coming in to help them do more. Yes. You know, I, I have seen, like, for example, a group that came and maybe most of them were nurses. Mm-hmm. And then they will think about, okay, how can we help the community in what we call community health? You know, that... Uh, so because they are nurses, they will think nurse, they will think hospitals. And I think that is a, has been a, a mistake. You know, uh, even if people are in a certain domain, I still believe, you know, we can only support something that is already happening. Mm. I think the passion and the, you know, track record is very important. For someone who has been into this, or in a certain number of years, they have not abandoned, they have not left, they have a reputation, you know, they have, you know, with the community. Mm. And everyone knows about them. And then what they have been doing is consistent, not changing from one thing to the other. Then I think those are the initiatives that so deserve. Maybe they've been using their time to serve the community or limited funding that they raise locally Yes. to do those initiatives. Yeah. But then the North American partner can come in and, mm. and help them to expand what they're already what they're already doing. Yes, that, that's, I, I will encourage that. But they also need to be careful. Because sometimes when uh, people come, like for example, uh, even those who come, when they show up too soon, they can even kill the initiative that has mm. been ongoing. Mm-hmm. Because I have also seen people with a very genuine initiative. But when uh, people came on a mission trip, then they, some people in the community started to see them as maybe they, they were doing this because of some money that was not seen. And so even the way people intervene, they should be very careful because sometimes they can even kill an initiative that was really ongoing. Mm. So we also need to know this is an initiative, but how do we come in in a way that is not going to kill the passion or to create another set of problems Mm. to the initiative that was ongoing? Mm -hmm. Then you had mentioned verifying the story uh, and you said something about sending someone to visit. Do you think it's always necessary for, let's say, a, a North American church to send one of their members to the country that they're wanting to help to visit the area? Or is there another option rather than visiting in, in person? There are two aspects. You know, one is to try to uh, assess what you call a verification mechanism and at first you need also to understand the community how does the community assess evaluate and because the community has also mechanisms of knowing what is good what is genuine they have also these mechanisms so you know people need also to assess those and try to ask if there is a mechanism because one of the things that is strongly recommended like in uh, in this in rwanda you know, you always need to have an opinion of the local government mm-hmm. and also church leaders, not one, mm-hmm. at least different church leaders. Like, for example, if it is someone who is doing a very good job with uh, maybe helping uh, women, you know, in literacy, 
So we'll always have at every level of government someone in charge of literacy and education. So that is, these are the kind of places where you'll find that person part of a network that is doing something like that, but they will also be known by the local government and also churches. So it is also very good to rely on the local, you know, but not one, because you can also fall on one person and say, can you, um, you know, uh, affirm or confirm? And maybe it is someone with a bad faith mm. or he doesn't like that person. Or maybe that one wants also to say, why not me? You know, because if you come with, uh, as if you want to give something that you can also fall on a person with a bad faith or a person who will think, let me hijack that. But you always have like a group a mechanism that is very important at the beginning and not not come immediately. But the, someone of that church coming, you know, might happen, but on a later stage, not at the beginning. Mm. Yeah. You, you mentioned that a lot of times uh, different Western groups or churches will make a connection with a person. Maybe that person that you said a driver or interpreter, but it might be a pastor that they've connected to somewhere. Um, why do you think it is that often they will stop with knowing that one person without going further to try to know, let's say, a number of people from that? I think there are two reasons. One I have noticed here is that when you have a missionary on the ground, and then maybe they have a house help, mm. you know, and then they trust that house help, you know, totally. Now, anyone will come from their country, that is the person that will, you know, send them to. Even when they are gone, those who are living in the community, they will tend to have trust on one person. Maybe that person is trustworthy, or maybe that person is, is smart. I mean, smart in, not in a good way, you know, has, has taken you know, their emotions, they have, you know, like uh, captivated their emotions, or it's a good person. But uh, the tendency that uh, we have seen with missionaries, when they have someone, it will be that one. Even when they go, there is another group coming. Even when one missionary has been working with one house help, when the missionary leaves and there is another one come to replace, they'll always take that one. Mm. And if you, you are asking, why is that, you know, mm -hmm. handing over of the same person? Or if it is a driver, it is the same driver. I've seen mission trips coming. And before even they start, they'll be told by a group that came before, you go to this person. So they will stay there. And they don't want to explore because there are also many stories, you know, uh, of frustrations you know, that happened. So before they come, they, maybe they met, someone will tell them, oh, you know, they're also prejudice. Oh, you know, Africans are dishonest, they're thieves, all of them are so cunning and hypocrites. And then someone will come with, you know, all these antennas high. And the tendency will be like to say, because I was told all of them are dishonest. So let me stick with the only one, at least, 
you know, I was told was honest, which is not true, which is not true. Prejudice can also be part of that. But also, uh, you know, that, that sticking with one, I also see that um, it's a matter of insecurity. Mm. You know, I work in many countries. So when I'm there, I become very vulnerable. You know, all kind of problems, language, and how do you exchange money? How, Where do you go when you are in trouble? It's so much work, you know, to try to find someone. So the, the lazy... <laughs> <laughs> the lazy way is just to jump on that one, you know, who mm. was being given to you and say, okay, I don't have time, mm. you know, to go and explore. Unless you come to stay for uh, one year, most of the people will come here for two months, three months, or even two weeks. So they don't have the, the time. Mm. And we prefer to do the shortcut and the lazy way of saying, okay, let's just go to that one. Yeah. I'm looking at what you said. It's like, uh, if they latch on to the one person, it's like in a way they're being too trusting mm -hmm. because they're trusting that one person too much. And in another way, it's like they're not believing that other people are trustworthy. They're not yeah. trusting enough because uh, they, they they think that there's only you know one and, one good person, but the, and, and not this, exploring other relationships. Yeah, if that person, you know, even us as uh, the Christian community. If that person is not mature enough in, in the faith, they might also, in the benefits that they get, you know, through the relationship, they might start to say bad, bad things about other people. You know, uh, I heard of this pastor who was telling his uh, other, you know, foreigners, he was telling them that there's no one else among the pastors who is to whom you can trust. It is only him. Mm. So some of the people who have not grown, you know, in the love of God, the love of your neighbor, and uh, who are a bit selfish, might also, might also reinforce, you know, that, that one person and start to talk, sometimes even lying mm -hmm. about other people when, when it is not true. So it's, it can be both ways. And then the trust now continue and it becomes too much trust on one person because even that person has reinforced, mm -hmm. you know, some of these uh, fears and and prejudice, and uh, mm -hmm. and because the person benefits in the process. Yeah. yeah. What What are some of the red flags that you would hope Westerners would notice to give them some kind of caution, even if that do doesn't stop them from giving, but it at least makes them slow down a bit to think carefully. What are some of the things they should watch out for? One of the things is that. When people come to a community, uh, maybe to a church, you know, when they are denied access to other churches, so they are kept in a very kind of close, uh, you know, uh, circle, mm. that they are not allowed to meet with other pastors, you know, they are not allowed to talk, you know, to people who are not from that church, then people should think twice. Mm. Why aren't we allowed? Or even when they are allowed, it is under tight control. Mm. So then why don't you allow us to meet other people? Why don't we go and visit the mayor? You know, and, and, and just greet the mayor. Mm -hmm. 
and 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 talk to him and say we are here in this community mm. then that should be something dangerous mm. when people are kept in just you know very tight and they're not allowed to meet other people that is uh this is too much and another thing is that uh, even before you go to that one in uganda where i stay the local government officials are very accessible mm. and uh you had mentioned verifying you know things by so maybe a good practice would be when you're visiting mm -hmm. to make a point to meet with some of the the local leaders yeah and even here in rwanda you know they're very accessible and then you know they are very welcoming mm -hmm. you know even if you want to see the mayor it won't take you a long protocol but we also have a uh, local government mm -hmm. on a sector level and then the cell level every time we organize anything in rabakirana we always invite mm -hmm. you know the, the local government and then sometimes they will also invite our guests to their office so that is one thing you know that uh, people are not kept mm -hmm. in a box the other thing is when the request for assistance comes too quickly you know some people when you get there they already have this strategy planned 10 proposals you know and then the first day and the second they put all these papers on the table and then most of the time they will tell you we have not started anything of this but God, you know, with all this nice language, God has given us this dream and pro promised that some people will come and, and help us start this. When people are presenting you with something that has not started, that uh, is not a good sign. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the people who want to do something, you will see at least they have begun something. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are stuck. Maybe they are doing it on a very low level. Like, for example, you know, and then people will say, we want to start a sponsorship for the kids in the community. Then you ask them, as a church, how many kids are you sponsoring? Yeah, None. Yeah. And it's like, so you don't have that on your heart. If you can't take from your own offering and sponsor three kids in the community, so how is it that you will only sponsor 5,000 kids mm. when you get support? That is, you know, if there is anything that is presented that has not been already, you know, begun, that is also, um, you know, a, a red flag. Mm -hmm. And I have also, um, I'm always careful when I get to, um, you know, some of the people in the community, then some of the people are too nice, you know, sometimes the too nice, uh, you know, flattery mm. on this. They will, you know, shower you with uh, all the nice, you know, you are God's people. God has sent you here. Flattery after flattery. That is also a red flag. Mm. People are genuinely doing something. They will be more concerned with what they are doing than trying to impress you with all kind of, you know, very nice, uh, you know, speeches and, and all that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit, you know, weird. Mm -hmm. You know, that is not only Westerners and, uh, and Africans. I'm also talking about even me as an African. When I get to a place and receive too, I am showered 
with too much praise, I always feel like something mm -hmm. is not right in this place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those are some of the things I, I just remember. Maybe yeah. I'll remember more. Yeah, so, um, those are very important to think about. I just wanted to clarify for the listeners that both of us are very passionate about needing to help. There are there are many ways to help and to help wisely. We're not we're not saying don't help. We're just saying to to be careful how you help and who who you're helping through. Um, one of the things that's very common, and I I experience it a lot myself, um, is that different pastors uh, from different countries will do what we call cold calls or mm. emails mm. where they'll email a North American church. Mm. Maybe they're actually emailing hundreds of them. I don't know, mm. but they'll email them and they'll, they'll explain the need that they have and the mm. need in their community. And I know some of them might be false, but the reality is many of them are probably true mm. needs that they have. Mm. Um, we know the situation, pastors struggle, churches struggle, mm -hmm. there are communities in need. When a church or a person gets such an email, mm -hmm. what should what should they do next? What are some guidance that you have? It is, it is very difficult, but uh, if you have an email coming from a certain uh, place, maybe a country or a community, and most of the time you'll also have in your own community, people are coming from that area. That is the first place where you can verify. I'm not saying that you will necessarily get the right information. That is the first place. And if you ask some of the people in your community and say, this is an email that we have received and we are trying to see if it is, uh, you know, this is genuine, whom do, can we contact in your place? who can help us, you know, see uh, what is really going on. And in your community, like say, let's say someone from Uganda, you'll all always have like three people living in your community. So you don't just take hear from them because you don't know. Maybe they will also just, you know, say, oh, forget about this. But you also want them to give you some contacts mm -hmm. on the ground and say, uh, in that community, if we want to verify, whom do we go to? And then sometimes it is also going to Google. Mm. You know, this time you can go to the website. They have a website, and what is uh, on the and most of the time when people don't have a website, uh, people will not even consider. But some people don't have a website because they are too poor to even maybe they don't even know the importance of a website or. Um, you know, you can just go through the formal channels, like uh, if it is an evangelical church, you can ask if there is a, um, and you know, go to, through Google and try to find evangelical alliance, and see the contacts, and call. They want to talk to the chair of the evangelical alliance or the uh, Protestant council. Go through all these uh, channels, and then uh, ask them also to give you like three other contacts in, in local government and in that same area so that you push a bit more mm -hmm. with a verification, not only from the church, but also from, uh, from the local government. Mm -hmm. I want to give you what I tend to think, and I want you to be willing to disagree and correct me. Um, I always think like 
all of us have limited financial resources that we can give. Mm-hmm. And there's so much risk to give to an individual that we don't know. It's very mm-hmm. hard to uh, identify if we don't have any contacts on the ground to go and meet that person. Mm-hmm. And so I would just tend to point people and say, that person may or may not have a legitimate need, but mm. can you support an organization that's working within those communities in that area? Mm. The organization that has accountability structures, mm. that has people on the ground. If, if you only have $50 to give, mm-hmm. instead of giving to that person directly, and you don't know how that money is going to be used, mm. can you give to an organization, a, rep, a reputable organization mm-hmm. instead? I don't yeah. know, what do you think about that? There is a conflict, you know, between Christian NGOs and the churches. Mm. You know, it is happening wherever you go. One of the things the churches accuse the Christian NGOs, they say they have the best brains, you know, from our churches. They have the skills. They have, and because of that, they can easily access, you know, and all the money. And so they have more money than a local church. But whatever program they are implementing, they will come to the church and say, okay, we are training 100 pastors. Church, you know, can you send these pastors? So they want the church to be like a recipient, you know, like an implementer where they have the money and, and all the skills and competence. So that, that has created a lot of tensions also between the Christian NGOs or faith-based organizations and the local churches. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the churches do not have the capacity. It's, you know, even the structures, let me give you an example. We went to independent churches and then we talked about accountability. And then we say, for example, do you have a system like a board of uh, you know, the church and do you have an accountant? Do you have uh, a system of, you know, even if it is writing with a pen in a book where the entries and and then most of them said we have some but that is not the standard they have it's not something an international you know group will uh, will really look at and say this is a system mm-hmm. but some of them are really at that level it's fine because that is what they can and some of them are doing a very good job in a village. So most of these organizations, I think they will also tell you our work is to empower the church. So why aren't we lifting the church to the capacity and, and build all the structures? And, and there is also a narrative that some of the NGOs, not all, will develop. They'll be telling the West that the churches are incompetent, that they are just they work in total chaos and they are not skilled. So if you send your money there, it's a, it's a waste. Mm. Which is a narrative that also maintain this competition mm. for resources between the NGOs with their competence. Because all those brains unfortunately come from the churches. And then when you ask me if the pastor say, look, that one is an accountant, but he works for this organization. Yeah. Why don't you bring them on board? They will say, we don't pay them. And then you say, no, as a volunteer. Then, you know, sometimes it's very confusing because oh. sometimes 
the church leaders are too intimidated by the professionals and then they don't go and seek their help. So there's a lot, you know, happening. I still believe in terms of accountability, NGOs have very clear structure. But one of the problems is that uh, what they call overhead mm-hmm. is sometimes too much. You know, if you give them $100, you might find maybe 50 is going into office rent, the vehicle, mm-hmm. the communication, and all these things. I'm an NGO, <laughs> yeah. so I'm not, I'm not against NGOs. And then if the money is put in a church, that money can do like three times more. Mm because I'm both a pastor and I'm an NGO. The same money you give to an NGO, if you give that money to the church, the church can do maybe five times more, but then the risk also, because the system is not very clear, the risk of, you know, money disappearing is also higher. So I hope, my hope is that whoever wants to help should also help the church, you know, Mm -hmm. to increase in their capacity, not because they want to receive uh, money from the West, but the church, you know, should rise to come to that point. It's not all the churches. Yeah. Like the main line, they have systems. Mm-hmm. If you take like the Anglican church and some of Methodists, they have also systems. Yeah, especially if you give through a denomination or a diocese yes. Or yes. rather than just a local yeah. church. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges though is a lot of those churches don't have bank accounts, or if they do, it might be in the name of one person. Um, anyway, so I have two questions mm-hmm. related to that. One, if if people want to help a local church, is there a better way to go about it rather than responding to a random email that they get? Is there a better way to get connected to a local church that they can partner with? And then secondly, um, is it ever appropriate to send money through an individual person's account rather than like uh, you mentioned, uh, like the Anglican church structured, you know, a diocese, diocesan account or. Yeah. The, you know. there, there are two ways. Huh? I think what I have learned when someone is asking for money, maybe a local church, I think the first thing you do is not to send money. I think people need to take time to develop a relationship and relationship takes time. So why don't you wait that the relationship develop, that people start to know each other, people start to understand, you know, what is really all this church about? How are the structures? How do they do things? Is there a way, instead of giving the money, is there a way we can take maybe the pastor to a Bible school and maybe take three people, you know, into a university to learn accounting? And so people, we need to, to lay a foundation Mm. of a relationship. And that is so much, it's harder, but when we build the foundation right, then we can now develop a better relationship, even if the money does not come. At least we have blessed that church with a structure that is solid and that is reliable. And uh, uh, the, the other part when we talk about personal account, I have heard this, you know, sometimes we work with uh, groups that are in the church, like volunteers who come together and they want to do something. They will tell you on a different levels, if you send money through the denomination, sometimes it will be hard for the denomination 
to send the money to the local church. You know, there might be a lot of discussion because the protocol is too heavy. And then going through that protocol, the money does not reach the local church. In some denominations, you are not even allowed to send money to a local church without passing through the diocese or, you know, the, the, the higher level. And so uh, many things depend on uh, each church structure. But sending the money to a personal account is the most um, you know, undesirable thing. Mm. It's the most undesirable thing because uh, there, to, there's too much of the risk. If it is not an account that is, and why should we do that? If the church does not have an account, it takes only like 30 minutes one day to open an account. Like in most of the countries, you will also have microfinances that are very close to the community. It takes only one day to open an account. So sending the money to the bishop, to the apostle of the church, uh, some of them are too powerful. Even when the money comes, you don't know. Even those who are, have good intentions, but they have also a lot of problems in the church. So I, I don't... What I've learned is that uh, it's better to send the money to the account of a local church and not to the diocese, not to the denomination, but to a local church. And if the denomination, you know, is really like insisting, maybe the denomination should be asked to give, to delegate, you know, to allow that to happen with their signature, but the money should go to the account of the local church. Yeah. I think, uh, based on what you said before, you're saying to the local church, if we can verify that it's an actual church, mm -hmm. if there's a relationship with the church, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's very important because I, I see some people who have maybe 10 people in their church mm -hmm. and they're emailing people as if they have this massive church and they yeah. want to put on big conferences and mm -hmm. do all these things mm -hmm. and that the reality on the ground is it's not that. Yeah, let, let me also say this. Huh? This is what I said about help. I think some of the things people ask money for, uh, it's very hard because if we say we we need money to put a, you know, a rally in the community, so we want to hire uh, you know, a PA system that is all this huge and some of these things are a bit outdated, you know, because now in most of the places in Africa, evangelism is not those big rallies and, you know, with a PA system, it's more effective when it is people going to speak, you know, to tell their neighbors about Jesus, not this, this all, you know, these big things. And some of the needs, you know, it's mainly most of the churches, they struggle with, Maybe they have started uh, to build a church and then they they are stuck because the members and what they give is small. I've also heard some people in the West saying, why are you wasting money in a construction? Because, you know, in our country, churches are closing. So we don't need a church building. But here, a church building is very, very important. We still believe in a facility. But the facility should also go with the place. As we said, you don't need a facility that is uh, very fancy. 
in a, in a village. So we need also to see and assess all, all these things. And then sometimes uh, people will struggle with sending maybe the elders in the Bible school. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of things that really, you know, people struggle with here. And sometimes we'll have uh, children in the, in the church who need sponsorship, you know, to go for studies or maybe higher studies. Those are the things in the church we struggle with. We also have a you know, level of poverty where you have like uh, women. And uh, so we need to be very careful about how do we help the church and the members to come out of poverty. It's not through giving them a bag of rice, you know, and then you say, we have helped. It has to be a process mm -hmm. that is well thought through. And people will also look at the mechanisms. How are you, you know, helping? How are you training? And is it vocational training? Do you have a teacher among you who can teach tailoring and, uh, you know, welding and carpentry and all these things that, you know, these are the kind of things that can help the youth, the women to come out, uh, you know, out of poverty instead of, you know, just bringing Mm -hmm. rice and, 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 you know, maize flour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is really good. Um, I'm thinking about all the red flags that we looked at, some of the cautions, some of the how to do things carefully. Now let me look more positively as we, as we look at um, the things God is doing through people in the communities, through leaders, through churches. If the, North American partners want to make a big impact through their partnership and contributions, their prayer, their financial giving. Um, in your mind, what are some of the more effective ways that they could be, or more effective directions that we've, we've mentioned local churches needing help, we've mentioned community projects, local NGOs, uh, big NGOs, maybe international NGOs. Um, there are many ways to give uh, mm. theological education, scholarships, mm. many ways to give. What, in your mind, based on what you've seen, what are some of the best ways for their money to make an impact? Yeah, I think um, people now recently have uh, read, you know, some articles discouraging people to do short-term missions. Because they say, you know, people come and create expectations and, you know, they don't understand what is happening and they are already gone. And, but I still believe in a short, you know, term, uh, you know, where churches should send people. But, you know, for short term or a longer, maybe one person to come in the community, in, the, in a church, and stay in the church. Even if this was three months or six months, but stay with those local initiatives and try to be with them, not promising anything, but try to be part of what is happening. And that will give people to assess. And sometimes they will also see that maybe there's another initiative, you know, on the other side of the river that is really, you know, blessing the community. Also visit those initiatives will be very helpful and sit with the people, hear their stories, and see the resources that they have. What is the wisdom that they have? And then try to go alongside them, because then we know what is the need here. Is it training? 
Is it just uh, an equipment? Is it, uh, you know, and, and so that is the best way because most of the people, let me, we have a joke here. We say most of the people are busy, busy, busy doing good things for the community. They don't have time to write those nice articles. Mm. So most of them don't even know they need to write any any of these articles. They are so concerned with what they are doing for the community. And this is why they miss, you know, that those opportunities of, of you know, they don't even, they're not even aware mm -hmm. that someone out there is looking for someone to help. So there is a kind of mismatch, you know, people who do not meet. But if someone from that church, you know, a retired person coming and be part of the church or an organization like here or, you know, with uh, a church, staying there for three months, that has been very helpful. Mm -hmm. I've seen people leaving and I've seen that with uh, Wheaton Bible, uh, you know, theological college, they've sent, sent students to come and be just, you know, sit in the community, be with uh, organizations and sit there and stay there for nine months mm -hmm. or three. And then those people are very good because they can connect very easily with the community and also see around what is happening, who is doing what and how. So having someone that the North American church knows who's here, maybe a short-term missionary or a long-term missionary mm -hmm. who has those relational connections yeah. can point them to the good community initiatives or good local churches to support. Am I, am I getting you correctly? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about sending, mm -hmm. but also we have also already people you know like you who are really connected in the community because you can't be easily impressed mm -hmm. because you know really what is happening mm -hmm. and connecting with you is also another way mm -hmm. of uh, you know really saying and knowing who are doing really you know very good work to to bring change mm -hmm. um, you mentioned at the beginning about this um, African immigrants to the United States or to Europe who the churches will work through them to give here. And you gave some cautions about that. Uh, I know that's very common in my context as well. Um, and many of them are my great friends who I trust a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I, of course, not all of them are having hidden motives. But how, yeah. how would a church tell? How would a church know? That this one of their members who is from, you know, wherever Malawi or, mm -hmm. um, how would they know that they can trust <laughs> what he or she is saying? You, you get what I'm saying? How do they want to know? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I think trust is automatic, and which is uh, because um, I I don't think all of them uh, are are doing you know bad things or are not reliable. But I think in any case, even the Bible talks about three witnesses, mm. in any case, even if it is them, they should point to other people. You know, if they can give other reference people in the country. But even beside that, you still need to also verify, you know, um, information. They can be a very good point of contact because they know the people there. But 
everything should not just be based on one person mm. because then you miss the other voices who can speak into the matter. I don't think they will feel hurt if you just ask them for three names, mm. including maybe, you know, church that is not theirs, you know, in, in that place, a bishop of uh, a church that is not their church, someone in, uh, in the government, you know, at, uh, in that area, and maybe another person, maybe a school teacher or principal, and because they have many contacts. Mm. And, then, and then you broaden the, the scope of your you know, evaluation. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes they are also disconnected from their own community. So how can you know they have the, um, the right picture? Uh, you know, some of them have been in, in, in the West for 30 years, 50 years, and things have changed. So, you know, they, are, they can be a very good entry point, mm -hmm. but you can't just stop there. Uh, let's say that you do the investigation or you mm -hmm. try to verify and uh, I, I know this has happened. I, I've heard many stories of this happening where they'll contact the missionary that's there on the ground from from North America or they'll contact another pastor and they get a caution mm -hmm. that maybe you shouldn't give to this person. But then the North American partner says, no, we really trust them and they <laughs> they yeah. continue. What? What? What would you say to that? Because it happens I, a lot. Yeah, it happens a lot. And uh, I told you about, the, you know, some of the people, even when you give them a warning, then they started to accuse you of being mean. Mm. Sometimes they even become hostile to you, those who want to do that, to, 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 to support them, you know, and because they have already made their mind. And some of the time it becomes very difficult, even when you are in the community and you are asked, you know, and sometimes you think twice, do I give an honest answer? Because most of the time people work so much out of emotions. And then most of the people who have not listened, they've really went into very painful experience. You know, have disappointment, and things went completely wrong, then they came back. And then with so much regret to say, if we listened, you know, to you, we could have known, you know, that this was not the right way of doing things or the right person. If we did, you know, what you said, we could have done that. I know even uh, people on the ground now, they are very careful even to give an advice, because I have seen also people really being hurt in the process. You think, you know, you are helping, people want to give, and then they think you are jealous, or you want for yourself, that you are selfish, and then when they just bypass what, what you have said, then all the consequences, uh, then they come back to you and say, Oh, you didn't give us the whole truth, and it's all the blaming thing continues. What what drives that attitude? Is it just the excitement of giving that they just want to rush to give because it feels so good to be giving and helping, even if other people are giving cautions, or is there something else going on there? Do you think there are two things that happens there? 
one is that some people are it's not about giving for the first time they have been giving for a long time and then a story of success has been given to them so and then they've told everyone about that story so to kill that story becomes very difficult people start they are even willing to believe in a lie because it's comfortable it is less embarrassing for them you know after all the things that they've been telling everyone so then they are like oh let it's better to stick with the lie because we can't go back to the people and tell them this thing was was fake that is something i've i've seen the other thing is that uh sometimes people don't take enough time to know why are we giving some people they will give out of guilt or maybe it is a crisis that has happened in some place and then people will come to you how can we help you know there's a drought in this place how can and then it is done very quickly without so much preparation and then you know all the things start to happen i think emotions and sometimes strong emotions can lead people into all kind of uh, of mistakes so we're getting near the end of our time but i had wanted to ask you about ngos um we've said good things and bad things we said they can have more overhead but we said they also have the good structures and systems in place um again don't mention any names but there there are lots of big big ngos there's denominational based ngos then there's uh, local ngos um who, who's doing effective work um how, how or how can how can north american partners investigate those the NGOs, not just investigating these individuals or these churches, but how can they look at the NGO work and say, where is my money going to have value for change in, in God's kingdom? Um, yeah, just what's your opinion on how on the work these NGOs are doing and how can how can the financial donors investigate to see who's making some real change? you know most of the big ngos they have uh they don't some of them don't collect the small monies you know they have experts who will be on the ground and they will write and you know, develop these grants and then raise money from you know, uh donors and uh, most of them will not really even think much about how the money is used and what goes to the implementation and and overheads so it's 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 hard to to know because most of them you know they operate on these you know huge uh grants but there are also NGOs that uh collect uh money and they will go to the people and ask for money and i think there are things that happen you know i i have also seen some of the NGOs they are very transparent about you know they put out there in their website and they can tell you very quickly what really happens when you go to their office they'll open all their books and uh, you you have access to any information and the biggest information is when you go to the people who receive that help if it is sponsorship they will allow you to sit with the 10 families without their staff and say you know 
you talk to them. They will allow you. They so, you know, they give you all the possibility of, of verifying because they don't have anything to hide. And uh, I think those are the most reliable people who give you access, not only to the books, but also to the people. Because sometimes uh, people can give you access to their books, but they will never allow you to meet with the people on the other end, mm. which, is, which is a bit weird. And uh, they'll give you all kinds of reasons, but uh, I don't take everything, I'm told. I think the m biggest person who can talk about how they will help, they are the end, the, those at the end, you know, not those in, in between. And some of the NGOs are very, very transparent. So they will tell you, this is how we use our money. This goes to this and this, and this is what goes to the implementation. And they also give you the possibility to verify, you know, all throughout, which is, uh, which, which is the most, for me, the most reliable. There are there, uh, the stories of success that they share back to, let's say, North America. Are you seeing those same results that they share in the stories, or are there sometimes differences? Some I see the results, you know, for some. Uh, but for some, they also make a bit beautiful. They they know how to to make <laughs> to to yeah to add a bit of uh, you know yeah cosmetic. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, and, uh, but for some people, it has been uh, very they're very genuine mm -hmm. about the story. But unfortunately, when you go to like the church, they don't know how to tell the story. Mm. They have a story, but they don't know. They don't have, they don't have the right skills to tell a story. I think recently I was uh, with a pastor. He's working in uh, in Ethiopia in a community. He ran the event that took only two two days. So when I asked him, how was the event? He was telling me, oh, people cried and they repented. They were confessing to one another. And that's all. And he was very emotional. He said, you know, I saw the hand of God. I saw the hand of God. Okay. Saw the hand of God. <laughs> so what do you mean? And then after like uh, six months, I met him recently. And I asked him, I said, you know, uh, you know, tell me a bit more. Mm -hmm. Then he started to tell me that the people actually who are in the workshop, it is in a place where the community is so divided that some of them have run into the bush and they are fighting the other community from the bush. They attack each other. But the small group of people who were together in that workshop, they went both to, you know, one side of the conflict and to the other Actually, they brought the leaders together to sign a peace agreement that even those who are in the bush have come back and this, the whole town is now at peace, you know, and they are continuing with the healing process. For me, I was like, why didn't you tell me all these <laughs> nice things? He said, and why should, I tell, why should I tell you? Because, you know, he doesn't see me as a donor and he's not used to donor, hmm. you know, that... What does it mean to tell a story? Yeah. For him, he doesn't see the value of it. So that is where the problem is. So the people, some stories, we also need people from the other side to come 
and collect the story because the people all who are doing very great things all are not capable mm. of telling a story i have also done something here you know this is what i have noticed so then i go to the other side when i am in america i will listen to missionaries reporting to their home church and the way they report i just feel like jealous see this is you know this is short and they only give what is necessary and it is also you know they give testimonies and and then i'll see everyone is like wow this is really we praise god for this and then i just feel jealous i say i don't know how to tell the story in this way mm. because in my community telling a story is a different thing mm. so how do i tell a story that in a way that is touching the other side it's a different thing yeah. it's a cross cultural thing i can share what is not needed mm. you know here i think of a story i need to tell it's a report mm. with statistics because i think i want to prove to you that your money did the number you know the numbers and the event that were planned and then we and that's all mm. you know this is how we use the money okay now i'm clean i'm not a thief and this is what i want to prove but when you go to the other side that is not really like encouraging mm. you know yeah it is honesty but so that's not does not really like you know help the people who don't need to see you know the impact that has been happening so it's both ways most of the big organizations they know how to tell the stories yeah genuine and even not genuine mm. they will always know how to tell mm. so there are those who are very honest and they will tell those stories in a way that is really relevant mm-hmm. to the other side but most of the people who are doing great job they don't they don't know how to tell the story so it's for people like you and me to help identify those people and help them to have an avenue to share their stories yeah. so that people yeah so we are out of time but this has been wonderful mm-hmm. i've learned a lot myself and i want to just close by reminding you that there are people listening that are eager to give they have joy of giving they feel god has called them to give to help the church or to help the poor um they're looking for ways to help in the continent of africa what kind of closing encouragement or charge or whatever you would like to share what 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 would you like to close with you can share that uh and then if you have any prayer request you can share that and then we'll be done i think it is uh something we you know and you i told you this uh, and then you know we were discussing about you know developing some resources like guidelines this is something the people who are in between you know who understand both sides can sit together and if we can develop a resource you know like a guideline and uh, for people who want to enter into this relationship you know that will end up in uh, maybe donating that they can follow some of the ideas so that um things do not go very personal because when you have to go to a person then you are putting that person in a in a kind of very difficult situation if they have to tell you in your face to say this person is fake but you can help that one and uh, it is a bit difficult mm. but uh, i think this is something we 
uh, you may find time and 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 put together that resource that will be multi you know we have people from NGOs from churches sitting together on that small resource that we can publish mm -hmm. and put out there to help people you know to come and to have all these you know um, ways of, of 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 helping and so as a prayer request uh, mostly for us working in, uh, in both sides I it is my desire to see that uh, you know what I'm observing this time is that when I go like to the US uh, it is very hard for the people to believe in anyone coming new and falling just on the ground to say I'm coming with these ideas not only me but everyone here and so um, my desire is to see more of the people in the West, you know, coming to this side and becoming champions mm. in their own communities and advocate for initiatives that, you know, so that we don't only respond to the people who are smart enough to send their proposal, who know how to use email, who come, you know, and find us in our, in our, our homes, but that we can also have people coming and then championing because of all these other people and the initiatives that are here. I see so much, and even myself, sometimes I cry when I see people who have been in doing something consistently. i give you an example in Kenya. Uh, I went from Rwanda to Kenya, and then we have trained some uh, people to do the healing and reconciliation ministry, but the funding was stopped uh, to the organization that was, was running these activities. But this one was a volunteer. But when I went there, even after like three years, this lady was going all over Kenya with this ministry, you know, running up and down teaching people about healing, the pain, the wounds in family, you know, the things that are happening in the community, divided communities coming together. And then when I sat with her, I say, how can you do this? And then she said, I ask this more money from my husband. And sometimes the family goes hungry to do this. And I was feeling much pain. And that gave me, you know, this uh, kind of Push. It's a drive. It's a an appeal, you know, to to champions, you know, who will come this side, be with the people, you know, and connect with those initiatives and champion for them, you know, because it's not easy for an African just going into the West. First of all, when people see you, they think you are coming to ask for money. So, yeah, we knew. So sometimes even when you have a need, you feel embarrassed. You don't even present because there's a strong element. And then people will also bombard you with all the frustrations of people they helped, who cheated, who lied, and then you can you just go silent. Mm. So it has become so thick that my prayer is uh, that God will raise champions. These are not people who are really in the professional you know, funding organization, technicians, just ordinary people, mm. school teachers, you know, uh, lay people in the church on, on, a, on a holiday or just to come this side, 
you know, all of us, like Anthony, and we, we are all around just to come and, and be in the community and, and champion the cause of those, uh, I can say, the voiceless mm -hmm. in this international, you know, uh, interaction. Good. Let's bring it to a close there. Thank you so much, Joseph. This has been wonderful. Mm. God Thank bless you. you. Thank you, Anthony.